Roger here. And uh, we do this every day when we uh, chat about uh, the issues of the day. It's always good to bring somebody who knows what they're talking about to the microphone. You know, see how many talk shows do you hear where people are spouting out about this and that? Of course, they're not in that field and their information is secondhand. And so a lot of it's inaccurate. So by inviting the people who are directly involved, uh, we got a better we got a better shot at accuracy. <laughs> Not necessarily. Uh, it's always 100%. Yesterday, we talked about voting with the Board of Canvases manager here in Woonsocket. And that was interesting. Today, we're going to talk about uh, police and the police department and uh, what I would call public safety here in Woonsocket. And uh, we have a public safety director. We've had him here before, Gino Gillette. And he oversees... Uh, police and fire and then we have a fire chief and we have a police chief we have the police chief here how you doing police chief good roger nice to see you this morning (laughs) nice to see you his name is thomas oates and uh he uh, so you've been you've been um uh, nursing uh nursing (laughs) based on what you told me before the program you've been living with uh and uh a shoulder issue but uh but uh you're able to, to still do the job right yeah, that's correct. Uh, uh, not as much to the full extent that I'd like, but uh, still at work and, uh, and and just happy to be there. Well, nice to have you on the program, and thanks for accepting uh, my uh, invitation to come and chat with us about the police department. All right. As I was telling you uh, when we were saying, well, what are we going to talk about? The one thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, to open up the program was my perception as a Woonsocket resident and then also a member of the uh, of the media. My perception of how uh, the city administration, uh, Mayor Lisa Baldelli Hunt and, and the new mayor uh, and the city council. And the people in general of Woonsocket feel about their police department. And I, I was telling you, my perception is that there's a positive vibe that comes from um, from the general public, generally speaking, not everybody, uh, that we um, ad- lo- like our pol- love our police department, admire our police officers, and that not only do we do that, but we financially um, support them uh, by making sure that uh, we finally get a contract going and and um, and have uh, vehicles on the street and uh, and the latest equipment. Is that your perception that in this community, Winsocket, Rhode Island, that there's a police um, acceptance and uh, respect? You're spot on, Roger. Uh, since I started back here in August of. Uh 2016 the the support's been tremendous from the community in general um and seeing them at all the different public events they have and their attitude uh towards the police department and the relationship towards the police department when i got here chief tom carey had begun to institute a community uh, policing initiative which we've expanded upon um a great deal so i i truly believe we we have a great relationship with the members of uh, of the community, uh, politically, uh, the, the the mayors, uh, Mayor Boldelli Hunt, Mayor Beauchamp, Mayor Gendron, when he was there for the short period of time, as well as all the city council members, uh, have all been uh, extremely supportive of anything that I asked for, as far as uh, especially to do with equipment or needs or initiatives in the police department that re- require funding. The union. Uh, I work with very closely with them. There's some issues w- with with the union and the fact that, unfortunately, we're one of the lowest paid police departments in the state. Uh, we're one of the busiest police departments in the state. Uh, I know a lot of that is to do with uh, when the, the city went into great financial difficulty uh, with the Budget Commission and they took no raises for a period of uh, many years. Um, and now it's it, it's they're trying to catch up. Um, and in law enforcement in general, throughout the state, throughout the country, uh, recruiting is extremely difficult. Retention is difficult. Um, I sit on the executive board of the Ryan Police Chiefs. We had a meeting yesterday, um, the vice president this year, and uh, retention was brought up uh, as one of the one of the topics in uh, police departments actually poaching from one another. Uh, and it's uh, it's 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 really something that we're trying to uh, to get a handle on. But right now, if you're a young person interested in law enforcement, you can basically uh, write your own ticket uh, to to get on a police department if you meet the qualifications and you have the will and desire to do so. Does that does that mean that um, 
back at the police academy uh, where uh, if you went back uh, 10 or 15 years, it was like uh, going to Fort Dix uh, and um, it was a pretty rough drill. Um, in looking at uh, the diversity of um, new uh, recruits coming into uh, the police department and, and so forth, is that um, still, um, and I'm not talking about physical agility, I'm mm-hmm. just talking about the kind of attitude that uh, police academies sometimes can uh, can have. Well, they've really softened over the years compared to when I got on, but one of the issues uh, that it was, and it's both with, say, for example, when I left, I was on the Smithfield Police for a period of time, six years actually, and went to go to Providence. When I applied to go through Providence, I had to go through the whole application process as a brand new person would have. Um, and at that time, there was over 2,000 applicants for 40 seats. Hmm. Uh, the state police had always back then, too, uh, for a class of 2025, would have well over 2,000 applicants. Uh, my understanding in this this state police academy that's just started in the past couple weeks, uh, they had funding for as many as 50 new troopers. They only could field 35 new troopers for the academy class or candidates. Um, and w- with that, they don't even have any alternates. And two of the candidates failed to even show up the first day f- for for the academy. So the mindset of this generation z or whatever they want to call it is completely different um than than what it was 10 years ago five years ago even uh i think and it's something that all the police departments are dealing with but the training the standards are all still there but it's gotten a lot less uh militaristic uh there are the physical requirements that that have to be met and are met and both the municipal academy and the other academies so there's no shortcuts but to get the individuals that actually want to do the job um and then of course just wait one of the things to go back to what you said when george floyd uh unfortunately was tragically actually murdered at the hands of a, a group of rogue police officers uh the country turned on policing in general uh Luckily, that did not happen. That did not happen here. Um, and, you know, this is the problem today with the Internet and social media, the way it is. An incident that happened in, in um, Minnesota, which happened nowhere near Rhode Island itself, still impacted every police department here in Rhode Island to some uh, manner or another. But I think these cities that went along with the, the cry at that time for defunding, defunding, and putting the money to uh, somewhere else. Uh, those cities are in big trouble right now. We're talking to Police Chief Thomas Oates. Here's a, you know, this interview is going to go all over the place. Pardon me. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this question for the longest time. Um, so I'm going to ask you now. So you are on the Providence Police Force. And I sit here every day with these stories from Russ Olivo. And listen to what Woonsocket police have to deal with uh, out there. And I was wondering um, uh, if you could contrast those two uh, two cities. Not so much the police department, if you want, you can. But those two cities are they are they similar? Uh, because we seem to have some very tough characters that our local cops uh, have to deal with uh, here. Mm-hmm. And I've got the feeling that um, that uh, police work in a in a city. In a city, Providence, Pawtucket, Woonsocket, um, is pretty much the same or not the same. I don't know. You're the police officer. No, it, it's remarkably similar, but I, I don't want to paint it as, as even in people painting Providence that Providence is some kind of city with an out of control crime problem. That that's not the case. That's not the case at all, and it's certainly not the case here in Woonsocket. Uh, but I have to say, everything I was in. Uh, Providence for 36 years at all ranks and all divisions all the way through. Almost everything that's happened to that happened to me in Providence has happened to me since I'm here and have been here in one socket. And that goes to unfortunately, luckily, oh, I had one of my officers shot. Uh, he survived. He, he survived. Uh, he went right back to work. Travis Young, great police officer. He's probably working today. I didn't see what the lineup was, but uh, he, he's on the day. Sh- he's on the day shift now. But after being shot, he went back to work. So I've had incidents where our officers have had to use their firearms and shoot at people, um, and as well as w- we've been shot. Now I, I just highlight them because that's like probably the most serious incident that's happened when you're a police officer that you're involved in a deadly force incident where you're either the person uh, having to use a deadly force or deadly force is being used upon you. But this is a very 
busy city. Uh, the police officers that I work with here are second to, to none. Any of them could trade places with people in Providence today or vice versa. The parts would be interchangeable because the work is, is so similar. It's a much smaller scale. It's about a fifth of the size uh, the way I look at it, you know, as far as the department goes and far as the city outlay, but uh, there's a lot of similar, a lot of similarities. The potential danger is the same. Um, we do, um, um, we hire Russ Oliver here and, and we do uh, daily uh, reports. And when I read the police log that I have here in, in the studio, uh, I'm just going to, I'm not going to mention any names who already did. Later in the newscast, earlier in the newscast, domestic assault, felony domestic assault. Uh, let's see this one here, uh, marijuana. All right, uh, marijuana, uh, domestic assault, disorderly uh, domestic conduct. Uh, let me turn the page here. Violation of a no contact order. Uh, and uh, this guy here, uh, let me see, is there any domestic assault, uh, committing a crime of violence, and so forth. And domestic disorderly conduct. The point I'm trying to make is that uh, the police officer is a law enforcement officer, but they go into these domestic situations. And I was just wondering uh, about uh, the social work aspect of police officers and so forth. Maybe you can talk about the 2024 type police officer from uh, the uh, 1994 police officer. Oh, yeah. It's it's very different uh, in the way that we treated domestics. I mean, years ago when I first started, there was no mandatory arrest. We're, we're under state law. Uh, we're obligated to make an arrest uh, when we identify a primary aggressor, whether the w- woman involved or if it's the man involved, whoever it is, whether they have a complaint or not. If we have evidence of an assault or a violation that falls under the domestic statute, we're compelled to make an arrest. And we do. And that's one of the reasons why you see so many arrests here in Woonsocket for domestic violence. Uh, we take it very seriously. But on the, the flip side of that, we actually have uh, 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 an advocate from the Blackstone Valley Advocacy Group that actually has an office in the police station that works in my police station really? four, four days four days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that's her, her sole function is she follows up on all of our domestic responses where we make arrests and even ones where we don't make arrests, follow up with the victims, help them get through the court system, go through that. Before it was her, it was day, day one. So we've partnered with a lot of people. We partner with CCA uh, for mental health issues, uh, you know, and so we actually have an advocate with them that ride two days a week uh, or one day a week two four-hour blocks, uh, and, and they work with us. We're also part of the HOPE initiative where we have uh, we, we have offices available to go out and do visits to people who have overdosed with social workers to see if we can get them into treatment so that they don't re-overdose. So policing in general has uh, really changed and uh, offers, well, we have a lot more tools in our, in our tool shed uh, than, than we did before. Actually, I'm, I'm working, I've got another call this afternoon with Family Services wants to give me an advocate um, for free. Uh, it's, they've, they've come up with the funding and that. And Providence has what's called a go team where they actually go out and ride with us and go to these, actually show up and go to the domestic violence calls or any other calls at a family uh, where there's family issues involved and try and see if there's some type of social services that they could pr- provide other than us simply arresting whoever the individual is that made it some type of a criminal violation. It's changing out there, huh? In it's terms cer- of uh, policing, right? Uh, it's a diff- different definition you're giving me. certainly is. Technology. I just want to talk about the flock cameras and body cams and so forth. Yep. And uh, you can, um, I'll just put technology and then Woonsocket Police Department under that and let you speak. Oh, I could go on. I could. Well, I'll the, give you a certain I could talk the whole. <laughs> I could talk the whole show about that. So when I first got here, we transformed over to, to all new portable radios, eight hundred megahertz systems. It was partly in work. We went from taking tasers. Uh, where tasers were just issued to a few individual offices uh, with this last contract. Uh, and I'll, I won't jump ahead of myself with Axon. We were able to get all brand new tasers for the first 63 line offices so that they're, that they're carrying new tasers along with their, bo- 
along with their body cameras. We have two drones uh, that we've expanded to that we that we use drones for accident reconstruction and for actually uh, we can use them for searches if we need to use them for searches. One of the drones is small enough to fly into houses that if we had someone that was barricaded in the house where we can fly fly it into there. I've actually got five officers that are certified by the FAA to to operate to operate them. Uh, We've got patrol rifles that I instituted a patrol rifle program where we uh, have a robust system with with that with backup, so our officers have enough firepower uh, that they uh, that they need. Uh, as far as speed signs, uh, I've been able to get grants from Federal Highway NHTSA through the DOT. So I've got four speed signs that we move around the city. Two of them up on telephone poles, and two of them that we have. But they actually, when we put them out at a at an area. Uh, they they track the traffic, how much traffic there is, what the speeds of the traffic are, what the speeds of the traffic are. So uh, I know speeding and complaints of speeding is a huge uh, thing that we deal with. Um, and it's funny in some areas you'll get people call up and say, "Oh, the cars! Every car comes down here at seventy miles an hour. Everybody's coming," and will actually run the for a week or two weeks run the run the program and it's actually all data driven and collected and we'll actually give them the data and it'll show what the average speed of the cars were and what you know even if you had one that did reach up to 60 miles an hour so that type technology but flock cameras have been a great asset um i'm looking to uh i'm going to be approaching the council my three-year contract with them is is coming to a close but um just looking at the statistics and i haven't updated them since since eight uh, since uh November, but since two thousand from two thousand twenty one when we came in with them to november twenty three we've had over seventy seventy arrests with them for for different wanted people recovered over forty uh stolen vehicles recovered over nine stolen license stolen license plates and that's not counting the work that can be done with them with uh detectives as far as crime solving and an example of one of them is, and people wouldn't maybe think of it, but so we had a person that reported that their vehicle was struck in front of their house. They claimed it was a hit-and-run driver that, that had crashed into their vehicle overnight. The patrol officers took an initial report of that. Detectives get the complaint as they normally do. They ran the vehicle through the flock system. They, the, one of the cameras had picked the vehicle up four days earlier than they made the report, and the damage that they reported was already on the car four days before <laughs> they reported it. So they were charged with filing a false police report. We've had other cases where a person was accused of a series of serious domestic crimes, including, uh, including domestic kidnapping. And he said that there was no way that he was in one socket. It was an, it was an ex-girlfriend, uh, and we were able to clear him through the use of the flock camera system. So it's not just about apprehending people. It's about clearing people and holding people accountable. So that the way uh, I understand it, uh, the flock camera uh, captures the license plate, and then the license plate is fed through a database to see... If there's something uh, unlawful associated with that license plate, is that how it works? Yeah, the, the only way that the flock camera would would hit on your license plate if you, is, your, is if your license plate was entered uh, either for a legitimate criminal investigation, uh, little legitimate criminal investigation, or is in the say NCIC database, or if it was a vehicle that was for an amber alert or a silver, a silver alert. So your vehicle doesn't get looked at. Uh, unless there, there's an inquiry that would be made on that. And if I was, for example, even running an investigation that someone said Roger Bouchard had had come over to my house on this day and, and, and tried to assault me, uh, and we interview you and you say, no, I was never over there, we would then go back into the system. We could run your plate for the back. It, it erases every 30 days. That's the most that the data is kept. We could go back and then search to see if your car was on that street or in that area or whether it wasn't on, on that. But it doesn't get looked at unless there's a criminal reason for us to look at for, for look at that and it doesn't get entered into it unless there's a criminal warrant for it or something that would something that's would be documented by law and every time anyone goes in and does a search of that system or enters anything in that system there's an electronic fingerprint that gets audited every month by our internal affairs to see who's used it and what they've used it for body cams 
Are they used yet? Yes, they are. Uh, we're still in the. I mean, uh, they're all they're all issued. We were able to get a federal. Uh, actually, it's a state grant for a little over sixty body cameras, which covers all our frontline offices. Uh, there's still some learning curves with them uh, as far as activation and putting them on and, and and shutting them off at different times and different things. But they're they're a great tool. They're a great tool. Uh, we've had complaints of offices uh, that offices were complained about to an internal affair on the way they participated in an activity or an arrest and once the attorney finds out we have body camera footage and we tell them you could come look at the body camera footage they the complaint goes the complaint goes the complaint goes away as far as i think one week we had had five uh arrests for driving under the influence um and all five of the defendants in the case pled guilty knowing that there was body camera footage and the attorneys know that there was body camera footage associated with it. It's no he said, she said anymore, Roger. It's this is what happened. Those videos don't lie, huh? Nope. And finally, in this segment, we're going to take some commercials and then grab a grab a, an inquiry from a listener. Um, what about uh, when D'Agostino is here? He's always saying we've got the, all the latest equipment. Uh, we've got all the... All the trucks we need and the plow. And we got, we're in good shape. How about you? We're in good shape. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment here, here on the program. Let's check in with the Honey Shop. The Honey Shop welcomes you to an eclectic shopping experience that offers unique and specialty products and items. The Honey Shop is proud of their gourmet foods and health foods. Savor our marinara sauces, salsa, dip mixes, honeycomb, hot pepper jelly, steak and wing sauces, and so much more. Try our natural remedies, such as our popular Breathe Ease, perfect for this time of the season. Do you like distinctive jewelry? We have a dazzling display of crystals and gem pieces and many other extraordinary gifts. The Honey Shop also offers workshops, classes, nature hikes, and events such as making, cheese, and sipping wine. Join us Friday, January 12th. Must be 21 and older to participate. Follow us on Facebook and stop by at 1300 Park Avenue in Winsocket or call the Honey Shop at 766-1488 today. Let's meet for lunch or dinner at the Roast House. Their menu offers something for everyone. Seafood and chicken, roasts, steaks, and chops. Appetizers and their rotation of the heartiest soups in the area. Open Sunday through Thursday, 1130 to 9. Friday and Saturday, 1130 to 10 p.m. Now, here are some of the delicious choices awaiting you at the Roast House. Well, I've got the uh, luncheon menu here at the Roast House. Uh, How about uh, fish tacos? Twelve dollars, uh, fries are included, and there's a lot of fish in each taco. How about this uh, hot, open-faced stuffed turkey with bread stuffing and mashed potatoes and smothered gravy at twelve? Also on the uh, luncheon menu is chicken and chips, traditional cheeseburger, half sandwich with a crock of uh, soup, twin taco all beef hot dogs with a nice, uh, nice sauce on it. And uh, that's $9 with fries, uh, chicken uh, strips and fries and coleslaw. We've got chicken stir-fry with teriyaki sauce. And, and my favorite, the pastrami sandwich with two slices of uh, Swiss cheese and Dijon mustard, 12 bucks. We are the Roast House. We're in Blackstone, and we'd love to see you in our place uh, today for lunch. 11.30 we start. When choosing an insurance agent, experience, personalized service, and commitment to community is important. For over 20 years, Hunter Insurance has offered the best coverage at the most competitive price. Whether it's personal or business coverage, we'll create an insurance package designed just for you. We offer life insurance and annuities, disability, long-term care insurance, as well as retirement and college savings plans. Hunter Insurance, an independent five-star agency dedicated to supporting and giving back to the community. Visit us at 389 Old River Road, Lincoln, Rhode Island, or call us at 401-769-9500. Just when the holidays are over and I think there's nothing more to think about financially. But then February and March always get me thinking about how i got to get my taxes done, get my finances organized, my receipts, my deductions. And I don't just want to walk into one of those stores because that seems not very personal. So I start thinking about getting my tax return done by a CPA. Yeah, a CPA. Just saying it makes me feel better. They have all those years of experience. Most have a master's in finance or accounting. That's the kind of knowledge I need for my taxes. Yes, 
I'm going to a CPA this year. That makes me feel a whole lot more relaxed. With a CPA, you get a professional with a higher education, more years of training, and a greater breadth of knowledge than the rest of the pack. This tax season, don't trust your finances to anyone less. Hire the best. A CPA. Few prepare as rigorously. Brought to you by Care Kasha, certified public accountants and business consultants. Call 732-8900 for your appointment. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. So I'm enjoying my one-on-one informal, casual, tate-to-tate, uh, uh, tate, I guess, with uh, the police chief. We're talking about the uh, Woonsocket Police Department and policing in general because a lot of things we say apply to uh, many other police departments. If you're listening in another community, um, not all police departments operate the same way, but on... Uh, well, I'm assuming that in many respects they do, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah uh, we follow basically in Rhode Island. Well, we're, we're that's one of the, our, my happiest accomplishments. When I had first got here, we were not an accredited police agency. They had been trying for four or five years. Within the first year of me being here, we were uh, accredited with the Rhode Island Police Accreditation. Uh, Rhode Island Police Accreditation. Since then, we've been reaccredited twice. In fact, uh, we were just re- were reaccredited last year. The reaccreditation lasts for three years, so we're good till March of 26. Um, and with that being said, not to get off topic, is that uh, accreditation basically means that you're following the best policies and practices there are in modern policing. And the accreditation not only holds you, what you have to say is that you do have these policies in place and this is how you say you're doing it, but the accreditation is a check and balance where every three years they come in and they review and make sure you followed what you say you were going to follow when you followed the procedures, whether it's a pursuit procedure or use of force or anything simple as towing and inventory cars. There's a proper way of doing it, a best practice. So the majority... Very few police departments in the state are not accredited. So the policies and procedures are the same, but the work is completely different from community to community. Obviously, we're doing a lot more than North Smithfield's doing or Boroughville or whatever. We're we're more tied into the same type policing that would be Pawtucket, Providence, Cranston, the the urban core cities because we are a city. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. So we have a caller online, so put on your earphones here and... Press a couple of buttons here and see if we can generate a, a question or something. Hello there. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Mr. Bowers. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that you said that they can only review the surveillance footage if they're investigating a crime. I think I think that's a good thing. Um, I'm always been a very, I'm a critic of mass surveillance, but I do like the fact that if, if, if we're going to have it, we only, you know, we don't. We only review the footage when we're investigating a crime. So, I, I again, I, I like to hear that, Mr. Oates. My question is a little bit darker, though. Um, I wanted to go back in time. Jeffrey Mailhart, the serial killer, who is um, investigated and caught by the Woonsocket police. I mean, I've seen Detective Stone was on American Justice with Bill Curtis, and so he did a pretty lengthy interview. Do you still get any any uh, in, any media requests? for that crime, oh, those crimes, I should say, because that was an international case. There's been multiple books. And um, I was just curious if you still get contacted by international or even national media about that. Not, not recently. We did, though, when I was, it was probably two or three years ago with that uh, segment that you, you saw run with uh, with uh, Lieutenant Stone, uh, and, and that was probably obviously that case was prior to me to me getting here. But the, I actually let that entity, um, and I can't think of it what it is. They actually filmed in my conference room. Asked if they could do that. They were from out of state, I think, out of California, and they wanted to highlight that case. And it was good police work involved, so we let them do that for transparency purposes. In that, if if if, if I can, if it's you know. A, a case where arrests have been made and there's a prosecution that's happened and there's no reason not to share the information with the public. I believe in the transparency and uh, in, in getting that out there, especially when there was good uh, good work involved. But I haven't had any um, inquiries le- uh, that 
that I recall other than that, that was, which I, like I said, not to be redundant, but was happy to uh, provide them with what I could and uh, contact them with the officers that some of them had retired. Uh, Todd Breen was an officer that was retired. I know that uh, was involved in that case, and he actually came back and, uh, and granted them an interview. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was literally, I drove down Cato Street uh, on the, like the, in one of the following days, and they had the, they had the, the tape up, they had the yellow tape up. And I realized, I said, this is going to be a big deal. This is not going to be like something that's just a flat, this is going to be like an international case. And, and, and I saw, I saw it coming. And then, sure enough, I give the, I give the cops credit. You guys did a good job. Um, can I ask another question about surveillance? Do I have time or? Proceed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as far as the drones, you said they have the drones. Do they um, what when they when they do use them if they're investigating something? Can they just use them for just basically just to just for surveillance, or is it like no. you know if there's a specific reason? And do they have to get like special clearance, or is there a process in place where um, you know obviously if there's a missing child, right? Yeah. We don't know. That would be a pretty you know that would be an emergency. Get the drones out, see if you can find them. But is there like um. A process to those five drones being used, and did they have like all the proper clearances and stuff from FAA and all that? First, first of all, there's only two, and the five officers that that have that operate those drones are FAA certified. They've been through the certification process for them. We don't use them for surveillance. If we were to ever, for whatever reason, decide to use them surveillance, we're subject to the same rules and regulations under a legal search and seizure. So depending on the circumstances, if we wanted to do use them for surveillance, and I have not had any reason or could think of any reason right now that I would that I would want to, but I, uh, the, the same laws would apply to me for search and seizure. I would probably have to go get a search warrant and, and, notify, the, uh, and notify the court. The drones that are used uh, are just fantastic. Fantastic for accident reconstruction is a, is a big uh, is a big thing that we would use them for, and even if we do have a crime scene to do an overall, if it's a bigger view of a crime scene, especially if it's outdoors, and they have the thermal imaging, like you said. So if it's a lost child, we've we've deployed it once. We didn't end up locating the child. Luckily, we found the child before uh, we got everything up and running. But we do have that ability because it's got infrared uh, for those purposes. And then, like I said, the other way that we would use it if we had had a barricaded subject in a house that was armed and firing like has happened in uh, different cases. We've we've had some barricaded sus- suspects here, but we're able to fly that smaller drone into into the residence and actually make contact with them. We could actually speak to them. The drone's mic'd up and, and you know, and, and have a conversation and plus see him and it saves uh, potentially the life of a canine or a, or a police officer that would ultimately have to go in there. So you don't have drones flying around all day? No, yet, so. no. Oh, I don't. Okay. Thank you for your call, listener. Yeah, thanks, guys. Bye. Good day to you. All right. So I'm guilty. Uh, what am I guilty of? I'm guilty of watching too much television and um, and guilty of watching too many uh, too many programs with police officers involved and um, and their work. So the question is, so let me dispel a few myths that I have. Every time there's a crime, they call, oh, we'll call in forensics. Now, can you call in forensics in two seconds at the Woonsocket Police Department? Or what is forensics and, and do you ever use it and, and how do you access it? I mean, yeah, for a serious crime, and we have a uh, we have a very robust, well trained Bureau of uh, Criminal Identification Unit. Uh, actually, we're, with more technology that we have, we have a laser system in we the have, police station. Right, okay. we have we have a laser system that that goes in now to take measurements. It's actually part of the accident reconstruction thing. But we could go into an, uh, an apartment where there was, say, a homicide and uh, gunfire had occurred. Uh, we can map the whole thing out. Uh, using the laser electronically it's almost like done like internal surveying uh they know how to collect they know how to collect the evidence they know how to collect the evidence uh but something something as simple as picking up shell casings off the ground i mean that's technically evidence but you we, we would photograph it in some cases the the bci if it was during the daytime they would come out and they would photograph it or if it was a firearm but if it's two o'clock in the morning and it's just a recovery of simple evidence uh this people that are trained on each of the shifts as well as the supervisors how to retrieve uh, basic evidence. But if it was a major scene, a major homicide scene, we have the ability uh, to, to process, 
process that, that scene ourselves, but also we have partners in both the FBI and partners in the state police that offer any assistance they have of any special technology, if, depending on the circumstances, and we wouldn't hesitate to ask for it. DNA. Uh, so you hear that in, <laughs> in old police shows. So uh, uh, how do you ever use, uh, uh, have me to uh, check into DNA, and where do you get it, and how soon does it come back? Uh, some of them, uh, they seem to be like within 24 hours. No, that's TV. Yeah. <laughs> See? That's de- I, get, that, I plead guilty. That's definitely, that's definitely TV. But uh, depending on the, uh, the circumstances, we do what they call a buckle swab, which is saliva of the person that was, ar- that was arrested, and we submit that. I mean, depending on, um, on homicide scenes, we would collect uh, evidence, whether it was a baseball hat, say, left behind by a potential suspect, and then that's sent to the state uh the state laboratory uh, for forensics, and and they would do the DNA testings uh, on that to see if there was a DNA and if it matched any suspects that we had. So the technology is there, and we can use it and do use it uh, uh, for different cases. Is there any uh, technology uh, that that you use that well that you haven't mentioned that uh, that I. I'm, I'm not aware of uh, after watching all these TV shows. No, I got I, not, not that I can think of. I mm-hmm. mean, your basic, your basic when they talk about forensics is going to be finger, it's going to be fingerprints. There's sometimes tool mark evidence on, a, on a, if there was a breaking and enter if there was a breaking and entering. Um, unfortunately, if it was a, a homicide, there may be bite mark. Um, you know, evidence depending on on what that situation would be, where you would need an expert uh, that would be able to testify in that. But uh, you know, we have a like I said, uh, not to be redundant, we have very capable and competent people that are trained in that aspect of it. And then there's other expertise out there that we can ask for if it's a co- something more complicated that we think we'd like a second opinion on or want assistance with. Good morning, gentlemen. Writes this uh, person. I'm a retired nurse, and we'll keep this brief. In my opinion. The disrespect police officers have endured during the past uh, several years in our country is inexcusable. But I'm pleased to know when Socket appreciates our police officers. A big thank you to um, our men in blue and God bless you all, says Sandra. My question uh, that would come from uh, Sandra's comment is um, do the um, men and women of the Woonsocket Police Department realize that there's a segment of the community that really admires what they do or uh, because they are out on the street. And so I'm not quite sure they get the message. First of all, thanks to Sandra for taking the time to, to send the email or how she communicated with you. And we appreciate the support. And, yeah, I, the rank and file, I, I remind them, I, I spend a lot of time on the ground, out on the road uh, with my guys. I'm, a, I'm not an office chief. I'm a road chief. Um, and my, my folks know that. So I interact with them in the public at different times together and especially try and go to as many events as I uh, can in that. And I remind them on uh, different occasions. And they see it themselves, though, too, that the public, uh, vast majority of the public, really appreciates what they do and really uh, uh, admires what they do and, and likes to be with them, likes to see with them. I encourage them to interact with the public as much as they can to get as, as close to the community as they can and to build those one-on-one relation or build those one-on-one relationships. Uh, and I remind them, you know, their behavior um, and their treatment of the public is so important and that they should want, and I stress to them, if you treat everybody like you would want a family member treated, whether it was your brother, sister, mother, father, or, or, or friend that was involved in an incident with the police, no matter how small, if it was a traffic crash or actually if there was something that had, had an arrest had to be, just to be respectful to that person and be professional. And I know my officers do do that. And uh, I do remind them, though, every once in a while when you will get hit with something on the media. And that's, again, you know, they try and make when you have a bad incident that happens at some small town down in South Carolina, and then you'll get a local Facebook posting here. That's, you know, they're trying to relate the two things together. And it's completely absurd. Before we take our break, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, because we talked about it before we got on the air, that the Woonsocket Police Department, through its chief, is not isolated. uh, That you um, have um, taken an active role in making sure that, um, that 
we're connected to the outside world, like uh, the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association, and uh, and things like, like that. You um, you believe that uh, we've got to be not isolated. We've got to be like sort of interconnected and know what the other guys are doing. Yeah, it's it, it's important. You know, this this state is such a small state, and it, it the Rhode Island Police Chiefs Association, which I'm currently the vice president, I'll be the president next year. I was just sworn uh, in as president, vice president last last week. Uh, being involved in that and sitting on the Rhode Island Police Accreditation Board of Directors. Um, I'm on, uh, going to a state crime lab meeting where I'm appointed to that by the governor to represent the police chiefs. Uh, working with other chiefs in um, being able to see that we have a lot of commonality uh, with different problems as far as personnel issues, hiring, retention, uh, but even just best practices. But uh, when Socket, you know, from what I had seen, you know, years ago was like an island on their own. Uh, whereas now we're not that way, and that goes to show with the partnerships that we have, even like now with family services or, like I said, the Black Zone Valley Advocacy Center. I get people that call all the time that want to partner with us and work on different uh, work on different project, different things, and anything that they can offer me that's a resource that's going to help the department or help the people in the city. We're more than happy to partner with them, and even just. Uh, citizens academies. We were able to get them back and running. We've run two. Pandemic kind of knocked one of them out, but we're planning on running another citizens academy uh, this year too. And that's a great way for people in the city to get to know the members of their police department and get rid of some of the myths that you say that you people see on TV. When Zach Cooner is here from uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, he was here a couple of weeks ago and. And uh, when the Attorney General of the State of Rhode Island is here, they always say, well, we interact with Woonsocket Police and we're working on this investigation and that investigation. That's what they say. Uh, let's go the other way. Um, so how much does Woonsocket PD work with the Attorney General's office and the U.S. Attorney's office and and the outside world? Uh, you know, without getting into too much uh, specifics, uh, it seems they seem to say that there's a lot of activity. No, there is a lot of activity. I actually have uh, offices assigned full-time to the local DEA, which is Drug Administration. Uh, here we have an officer that's uh, a task force agent, Kevin LaRue, and he's actually been a task force agent for, I think, close to 10 years now. And I have another officer, Peter Maynard, who's assigned to the FBI Safe Streets Task Force. And both of them, they're a force multiplier for, for, for us because the, the big benefit that they have, they're the federal government. They have a lot more money than I have. They have a lot more resources than I have. And they come under the umbrella. Any of those cases that those two particular officers bring, that's at the federal level. And that would be what Zach Kuhn is talking about, yeah. mm -hmm. that the U.S. Attorney's Office prosecutes them. But DEA, for example, if I'm doing a drug investigation and I ask for them to come, they've got deep pockets. Uh, I can't afford to go out and, and buy uh, drugs at five thousand dollars a whack on a buy and let the money and let the money go uh, on drugs. DEA comes in and funds me on all of those cases and works with us and has those resources. Same thing with the FBI on the local level. I've known Peter Narona since he was a, uh, a frontline prosecutor uh, back then. I have a personal relationship with him in his office. In fact, I'm going to be with his number two, D. Goldstein, uh, at 10 o'clock this morning. And we have a great uh, working relationship with them. Any major case that happens, if it's a homicide or actually officer-involved shootings, their protocol where I, I'm required to notify the AG's office and get them involved. And for good reason, and we do. And when we do those cases... Uh, with them, uh, they're a great uh, resource for us to have. You know, when Zach Kuna was here, he referenced the Safe Streets uh, program, and he was referencing a particular investigation, which, uh, like uh, two days after he left, uh, broke in the news. So uh, I guess when they talk about those uh, programs, they really exist, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and they, the thing is, is that those longer, you know, so... Our, I have a narcotics unit that works very hard, and they they are involved in a lot of day to day activity with street level 
low, low, lower level drug de- dealing. The, the more complicated cases are actually the network cases where there's multiple people involved traveling back and forth from Providence, even out of state, trafficking, trafficking drugs. Those investigations take more people, more money in our longer term. Those are the cases that even if they initiate here in, Pro- in Woonsocket with our people, we have then our DEA partners and them come in and they provide the resources. And uh, it's a great working relationship that we have with them. All right. We're almost running out of time. Our one-on-one, our one-on-one with the police chief will continue in a few seconds. And we'll get to a few uh, things like uh, speeding and crosswalks and school buses and stuff like that. You know, uh, because... That's all part of police work, too. So what's in your appetite? At Grumpy's in South Bellingham, their menu is so expansive, we can satisfy any taste. You may want to try a Grumpy Signature Burger. There are 12 to choose from. And if you like seafood, try our broiled seafood sampler of haddock, scallop, shrimp, lobster, and a stuffed quahog to go along. And you might want to check out our Taste of Italy, too, from eggplant, parmesan, spaghetti and meatballs, and many other Italian choices. And you may want to try a Grumpy's sirloin steak, filet mignon, or a Bourbon Street steak tip dinner, all char-broiled to your taste perfection. And we have a nightly menu special and also weekend specials. Kitchen open Friday and Saturday till midnight. Restaurant open seven days a week. It's time to make it a Grumpy's experience today. All right, Grumpy's open for lunch at 11. uh, No, they're open for lunch at noontime. I get my restaurants mixed up. Uh, noontime, but they have a great luncheon menu, including a nice little steak sandwich, a steak sandwich with french fries for seven ninety nine, And it's a, you know, it's a luncheon portion. You'll enjoy your visit to Grumpy's, and um, they'll be open, like I said, at noontime. All right, Scott McGee, you're next. Scott McGee of REMAX Properties brings his years of real estate experience to you, whether buying or selling. Check out this property currently on the market from the McGee team. All right, this is a piece of property is at uh, is on Cole Street here in Woonsocket, COE, Cole Street. And um, tastefully remodeled, it's a two-story home in the Globe Park section of the city. Remodeled uh, completely with uh, one to two bedrooms on the first floor and a full bathroom and a beautiful kitchen that walks out to a wraparound deck. There's also a full bathroom on the first floor for extra convenience. The second floor has two more bedrooms and another bathroom and a very large room for entertaining and then walks out to a beautiful deck. Scott has this house at 349999 631-2906 is his telephone number if you want us to talk to Scott McGee and talk about this particular piece of uh, real estate, okay? Uh, what do we got next? Charlie's Tire in Bellingham, and then we'll be back and uh, grab another phone call and ask a few more questions of the chief of police. Charlie's Tire and Service Center in Bellingham is the go-to shop for all your tire and mechanical needs. Serving Bellingham, Franklin, Blackstone, and nearby communities for well over 40 years. We specialize in tires, wheel alignments, and general auto maintenance and repair. South Main Street at Route 126 in Bellingham. Open Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 5. Stop in and talk to our service manager at Charlie's Tire and Service Center. Call us at 508-883-1211 and make an appointment. You can check us out on Facebook, too. Listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Police chief is here. Uh, we've got another call to uh, take care of some of you. Throw on those uh, earphones, uh, Mr. Police Chief. Uh, we'll uh, press this button, bring this volume control up to here, put this button in position. What would you like to ask the police chief? Okay, a couple quick questions. I'm wondering, um, number one, if there's actually a, a day one. Um, office right in Woonsocket mm-hmm. and two, do you still have a, a like a juvenile um, program to help kids, like a diversionary program? Do you think it can handle those two questions I, Mr. Police Chief? I, I, I think it can Depending on what the issue is with the juvenile, we have a juvenile hearing board that we're actively involved in. That would, but normally that's when a juvenile were were to get in trouble, were to get in trouble, 
uh, in, instead of having them go through the court system, they go through uh, a, this diversionary this diversionary program. But if someone has a, a has a trouble has trouble with a, a juvenile child, uh, and the child is wayward, you know, in other words, not following, not wanting to go to school, whatever it may be, I would recommend that they call into the juvenile bureau and ask for Sergeant Phil Cameron, who's in charge of that unit. Uh, and we'll be able to tie them into some resources that, that we would be able to connect them with. As far as day one, depending on what you're looking for now, if you're talking domestic violence, day one is out of the domestic violence business. Uh, there's been some redoing on the state level as far as grant funding and that. Uh, so it's the Blackstone Valley Advocacy Group that we have that took over for day one when I was first there, day one. And we did, when I was there, had same thing, had an advocate. And with day one, when the day one advocate was there, she was there, uh, the same thing, three to four days a week. The advocate that we have now, uh, Blackstone Valley, is there four days a week. She has an office in, in, in the building in Woonsocket, and people can come and visit her there. I mean, I would suggest that you call and make it appointment if you call into our department and ask to speak to the domestic violence advocate they'll be able to transfer you up to her office and you can speak to her directly and set up an appointment where they can either come out to you or you can come and see them satisfied with your answer oh yes just so in case people need to know that information but thank you so much for your time thank you for your call thank you all right mr police chief um what about um speeding uh, what about? Oh, I could ask you. Do you do you ever uh, do you ever pull anybody over? Yes. Or yeah, yeah. You don't let the guy guys and girls do that. Um, no, no, you do it yourself. No, yeah. I I can. I, I yep. have lights and I have lights and a mm-hmm. siren in my car. And the only difference that I look, we're all basic police officers, whatever rank mm-hmm. we're at, wherever whatever rank we're at. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just wondering. Yeah. So speeding, and um, people going through. Uh, red lights and people not stopping at stop signs and not uh, paying attention to the school bus and stuff is that a lot of um, what you get or is it uh if i could if i could figure out how to correct that problem <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd be working for the federal government making an awful lot of money uh it, it, it's it's that is a problem the, the distracted driving driving under the driving under the driving under the influence uh are probably two of the most major problems uh that there is in driving uh today uh in, in the state rhode island hit the record unfortunately this year for fatal accidents uh with 70 accidents uh fatals of the of them a large percentage of them were people who were under the influence of alcohol uh, or some other drug driving under the influence we have uh, we have all kinds of traffic safety programs we do dui patrol we do DUI patrols, we do speed enforcement patrols, we have money, grant money for pedestrian uh, stings, we do all of those things, but unfortunately it comes down to the individual driver and the behavior of the individual driver and trying to change that that behavior, it's the old uh, you know, thing as far as traffic enforcement, the three E's as far as enforcement, education and uh, that goes along with it, and it's a we do the best we can. We write an awful lot of tickets. We write an awful lot of tickets. Uh, we give a lot of war- we give a lot of warnings. Uh, so we do do traffic enforcement. A lot of cities and towns have chose to go with speed cameras or red light cameras, but that's a political issue, not a police department, not a police department issue. Uh, some people look at them as revenue grabs. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can only put the speed cameras in school zones and only through school hours, and the city doesn't get the money anyways. But the red light cameras, that's that's uh, an issue that some. Uh, that some cities have gone to uh, Providence. I, I actually started the program for Providence back then when I was there as one of my functions. But um, there's something to be said for that. Thank you, Thomas Oates, Police Chief. Wasn't uh, cool. would you accept another invitation some other time? Whenever you'd like, Roger. Thank you. It's for, been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you here, and thank you, uh, callers and participants, uh, and just just people listening just to get information on how the Woonsocket Police Department operates. From the boss. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380. WNRI won't socket. Months of defiance.